Pastor Art's been doing the Bible study on Wednesday nights. That's focusing on Mark. He's going to be on vacation the next couple, two, three weeks, so I'll be uh, continuing that. But I wanted to just pick up where we were in Mark chapter 1 and ask you to join me in this passage that we've been talking about in Mark chapter 1. It talks a lot about the ministry of Jesus Christ, how he was confirmed by the Father through the baptism where he speaks and says, you are my, or this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And he gets that divine uh, confirmation. He goes out and he starts... Uh, serving and calling individuals to come to him, and he's carrying out the plan of God, just what God had predicted. And he has a message. And Mark chapter 1 gives us a lot of those details. It gives us information about who he is. He's the Messiah. gives us information why he's here, his mission. He gives us information about the beginning of his ministry and the methods of it. He calls the disciples, just like every every, uh, other leader of that society, they would have disciples that they would call, that they would join them, and uh, they would then start teaching and having them go through and follow them and try to duplicate some of what they're doing because that was the highest form of compliment was to duplicate or mimic somebody. But in Mark chapter 1, there's also some uh, hidden within about two verses, the means by which he is doing everything. And it's in the section I would like to look at this evening. So let's just walk through it. Right after where we, where we talked last week, if you weren't with us, in Mark chapter 1, verses 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, you have that call by, the, uh, by Jesus Christ to the disciples, to Peter and his brother Andrew, James, his brother John. They were all cousins, by the way. And so he calls them into following him. And then we start picking up in verse 21 what happens, some of the details that Mark thinks is very important for the audience. He thinks that this one scene is very important, led by the Holy Spirit to record it, that Jesus goes into the temple to, or into the synagogue to do some teaching. It's interesting some of the little details that he gives. They went to Capernaum. Capernaum, if you remember what was stated here last week or the week before. Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee. It's on the northwest corner. It is right on the route uh, that is the major trade route all the way from Egypt up into the Mesopotamian Valley. They would come up and they would, uh, they would go parallel to Jordan and then they would skirt some of the Red Sea and one of the major cities that was for commercial trade, for refueling your tank on this trip would be Capernaum. So Capernaum was a popular city. It was a growing city. It was Jewish, but at the same time, they entertained a lot of Gentiles. And so this city had some real impact, and that's the first major city that Jesus is going to be ministering to. Seems to be in that hometown region of his uh, his first disciples. And it says, and as they, min- they were there ministering, and then whatever days went by, we know that on Saturday, where did they head to? What did he, where did he go to minister? You have it in verse 21. You're more than welcome to talk, by the way, okay? And they go to the synagogue, okay? And it says that on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and he taught. Now, from your understanding and your recall, um, how is it that he was able to do some teaching? How does anybody get the opportunity to just teach in a synagogue? Just stand up and say, I have a message. I want to be heard. Do you think that's the way it worked? Okay, not in Jewish culture. They had to be invited by the leader of the synagogue. So if you're the leader of the synagogue, who would you invite to speak? Somebody who's right about now, they're popular. Somebody who is, you know by experience, you've heard them speak before, or they might be the the new thing, the new deal all of a sudden. Well, Jesus obviously is invited to speak because he's the new deal. 
by the by uh, way of not saying it, but it's there, Jesus is already gaining a reputation. So he's invited to speak, and he's going to get in there and start speaking. And in verse 22, what is it that they are most impressed with when Jesus speaks? His what? His doctrine. Okay. They were astonished at his doctrine. Why is it that his doctrine was so impressive compared to what they've been hearing the most of the time? He goes on and he makes this comment. He wants the readers to understand. What did Jesus do differently? Did he tell stories, good illustrations? Was he humorous? Okay, he spoke with authority. And in fact, if you look at verse 22, it makes it very clear. He spoke differently with authority and it makes a contrast compared to what group of people? The scribes. Okay, remember now, the scribes are the clergy of that day, the professional teachers, the professional students, the ones with the degrees. And Jesus was so different because he is speaking with authority. Now, what does that mean? As you understand the scriptures, what do you think that means, that phrase? It's important that Mark wrote it in here. Jesus spoke with authority. The people are amazed. What does that mean? Any idea? Okay, it could be. It could be it's something that they've not heard before. So he's explaining passages that the others weren't explaining. That's a, that's a strong possibility. Anything else? Kevin? The, the, typical, the typical preacher teacher of that time is, is if I were up here speaking, to me, for me to give credibility to what I'm saying, I would quote a lot of the previous teachers. And I would quote whoever it would be, you know, uh, this person or that person, and that would give me credibility because I know who, who these people were or I know of them. And it was very traditional, what was passed down from generation to generation. So instead of quoting scriptures, they're, in, they're quoting the interpreters or the appliers of scripture. Jesus is going directly to the Word of God and explaining, as you said, Seth, explaining scriptures very directly and speaking with his own authority. In fact, Jesus isn't, spe- isn't needing human authority to back up you know, what I'm teaching you, uh, so, such uh, rabbi so-and-so agrees with. He wouldn't do that. He is speaking with whose authority? Who had said, said before, this is my son in whom I am well pleased? Okay, God the Father. So he's speaking with divine authority. And so when he's speaking, the people are impressed. He is not quoting. He is not doing the normal thing. And so that they are really amazed by it. But then there's something else that happens in this account. As you just keep on working through the account, all of a sudden Jesus shows dramatic power. He, there's, it says, if you have a paragraph heading, or even in my notes I have, he shows power over a demon. What strikes you odd about the, where, where or what this demon is doing when you read verse 23? Anything? He's in the synagogue. Okay, the demon-possessed the demon man is in the synagogue. Why? We don't know. Is he there frequently? We don't know. But we do know this much. He's in the synagogue, and nobody else seemed to be able to deal with it. That if he's been there for any length of time. But all of a sudden, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cries out. Now, from what he says, what stands out to you in verse 23? He knew who Jesus was. Anything else that stands out? Because he says, Thou Jesus of Nazareth, I know you're the Holy One. Anything else? What's that? Okay, he's totally, the demons are clearly recognizing who Jesus is. 
Okay, where what he's doing, you know, because they know. Are you come to do what? Okay, get rid of us. Okay, to destroy us. So they understand the purpose. They understand their damnation, their doom. They understand their condition before Jesus Christ. By the way, how many demons are there? Okay, any indication in that verse? This plays into the passage. That's very important. Okay, there's more than one. How do you know that? Okay, let us alone, and they not only use the, and for some of us, we have that italicized us, but it's clear as well, because it says, um, it, the first, in verse 24, it's saying, let us is italicized, what have we to do with thee, and then are you come to destroy us, and so the demons go back and forth, I, and then uh, us, and so there's many of them there. Jesus speaks to him, he rebuked the demon and said, hold your peace, come out, and when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. Now, the people are amazed by this. Now, what I'm amazed about is the display of power, that Mark wants us to understand. Jesus immediately shows power that when he told the demons to act, what to do, they did it. Not only did they come out of the man, but what strikes me as really even more powerful, when he told them to be quiet, they... Okay, let's, let's serious. Let's, let's put this in perspective. It's one thing to say to somebody, don't talk. It's another one to enforce it. Right? And Jesus says to this demon, don't talk, and the demon has to obey the Lord. He cries out, but there's no more this loud, this loud professing who Jesus is, no more that confusion. And the people are all amazed insomuch that they began questioning among themselves, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority commands he? And notice what they're impressed by. They're impressed not only by his teaching, which was stated earlier, but they're impressed by the authority that he has over unclean spirits, plural, okay? And they do obey him. The people recognize this was so unusual that the demons obey this individual. Just from your, from your understanding, do the people of Israel at this time, living in that time, have they encountered demons before? Yes, it's a very common uh, situation. In fact, what do the Jewish people have, professional blank, in order to help deal with demons? They have professional exorcists. And so this isn't an unusual, this isn't a, um, a rare experience. At that time, in that culture, there is going to be this confrontation with the demon. They have professionals that are doing that. That could be why he's at the synagogue. I don't know, but he's at the synagogue. That's supposed to be a place where you would typically get the help. But it's Jesus Christ that the people say he really knows what he's doing. He really has the authority. In fact, it is so impacting, follow the flow of the passage. What happens? Immediately, notice how the story writer wants you to get. Because of this, what happens in the next verse? He becomes very, very famous. All of a sudden, people are tweeting about it. People are contacting others about it. In fact, how far does the message spread immediately? All through Capernaum? All through Galilee, which includes that entire region. So it is going, I mean, the, the morning press is really, in fact, jump down. Um, look at verse 33. He is so popular by that, and so, so all of a sudden got so much press. How many people come to see him? According to verse 33, within the next few hours. 
the entire city. The entire city was gathered together at the door. So he isn't just a, you know, a fad with only a handful of people. He's got a large number. There are hundreds of people that are trying to seek him out. He's all instantaneous popularity. And in the meantime, all of a sudden, verses 29, 30, and 31, there's like a parenthesis. Because if you've been busy all day and you've been teaching, you've been preaching on the Sabbath day, it's kind of like after church on Sunday, what do you typically go and do? You leave here and you either head for home or you head someplace. And what's your, one of your first items of business you do? Okay, you're going to eat. Okay, so Jesus is forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew. They're going to go for a meal. And this is the time when Simon Peter's, uh, his mother-in-law, lay sick with a fever. By the way, according to Luke, Luke says a very high fever. Okay, and so Mark doesn't give us that detail, but she is extremely sick. And so they tell him, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. Why does, why does Mark include this? Why does Mark want us to hear about, in the middle of all this, he wants us to hear that Jesus healed mom-in-law to Peter? Any possibilities that you might think of? Maybe the key word is think. Okay. Why would he include this? What's he want us to understand about Jesus? What's that? What do you mean by personal? I think that's that's really a relevant issue, but what do you mean by that? Okay. Okay. What Wanda said is the personal nature of Jesus Christ. He had done something very public, okay, and it stirred up the public. This one's very private, is it not? It's in the house. He's dealing with Peter's mother-in-law. Okay, forget all the mother-in-law jokes. He's dealing with a family member. He's showing that he cares for the disciple. Um, could it possibly be that, that the writer wants us to know not only the personal care of Jesus for his disciples and being aware of situations, could the writer want us to understand something that permeates most every culture and every custom? Usually when we think about healings, most cultures, where or what do they associate with the ability of something being done miraculously? They usually pick a place, okay? That if you go to this place, give me illustrations of what this could be. What's that? The Pool of Bethesda, okay, in the Bible time. Can you think of any modern, modern places that people might say, oh, if there's a miracle, it's going to occur Okay, Fatima, some of you were, some of you, when you've gone to Portugal, you've been there. Alan has taken you there. Mark has taken you there. But it's known as a place of healing. Do we typically in our cultures associate miracles with, spa- with certain places at times, with certain events? And so what is Jesus, what is the author trying to, and by the way, in the ancient world, in the ancient world throughout the Mediterranean, they had holy spots. They had... Um, uh, Groves, you read about that in the Old Testament. Groves were supernatural, places where supernatural activity took place. What by just putting this in, it's a minor point, but what is he showing? Is Jesus limited to working? He did a miracle in the synagogue. That's the place where we go to worship. Is Jesus limited just to one spot? His power. No. No. And so he can do it in any location, even in a private residence. The author is trying to establish Jesus has power 
Jesus has authority. Jesus has passion. He's keeping this, this flow going. And watch what he does now as he continues in the next couple of verses. And at evening time, later in that day, when the sun did set, people go to bed. Correct? That's not what it says, but isn't that the fact of ancient Near Eastern life? When the sun goes down, so do you. That's the ancient Near East. In this time, in this case, what happened? When the sun did set, then what do all the people of the city do? It says, they brought unto him how many that were diseased? All, okay, and them that were possessed with devils. By the way, you'll see this in Mark. It happens like, I think, four different times that they give two categories of peoples that he repeats it the same way. Those with diseases, those possessed with devils. In Mark's mind, those were two huge categories of impossibilities. Those with diseases, those who were possessed of devils. Which, by the way, is it still that same level of impossibility when people have serious diseases? Or if there's serious spiritual problems, that it takes a real work of, of God. And it's not with a, per, with a place, it's surrounding a person. A person that can provide the, provide the solution. It goes on, all the city was gathered together at the door. And in verse 34, see if your translation reads the same as mine. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out the devils. Do you have many or do you have something different? What's that? You have a myriad? Okay. Various. Various. Okay, I'm sorry. You have various, okay? Anybody have a different rendering? What's that? Great numbers? Okay. Now, in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew records a story and he puts a different edition in. In Matthew chapter 8, he says, and all that were come were healed. Is that a contradiction for Matthew to say all and Mark to say many or various or great numbers? Is there a contradiction? Not at all. Not at all. The all could be great numbers. There's no conflict. Oh, and by the way, Matthew does something else. When Matthew records this, Matthew says, because it was written in Isaiah 53, verse 4, and he talks about the servant uh, Messiah who would come, would bear the sins of many, or the bear the, um, I'm not saying it right, uh, by his stripes we are... Okay, and so that's the text that Matthew says, this is the servant, this is the Messiah, the person who can do this. Luke, by the way, he puts down something different. Luke, when he records in Luke chapter 4, he uses the word everyone. So you have all, you have everyone, and Mark says, great numbers. And all of those, one author I was reading today says, oh, it's such a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. It's just expressing the same thing in different ways. But Jesus healed everyone who had come to him, which would lead me to think that Jesus had a busy night. Because it goes on, says, he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Again, display of great power, great authority. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out, departed to a solitary place and prayed. And Simon says to him, that, uh, with the others that followed, and I said uh, that... Uh, let me start again. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they found him, they said, All men seek for thee. And Jesus' response said, Let's go into the next towns that I may preach also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee. And so you have just two quick episodes. You have his prayer time, and then you have his preaching tour continues outside of Capernaum, and he leaves. I want to focus in just the next few minutes on his prayer time. In that two verses that talk about his prayer time, or three verses, there is so much detail. If you keep the flow of the story, and you start looking at this, that Jesus 
would take the time to pray and, and spend that time, and we'll see how, how the time factor. But all of a sudden that he does the, the praying, um, if, we, if we were to rephrase this, you fill in the blank. Okay, the blank would go this way. If, as Mark is giving the explanation, he's going to highlight, you know, that uh, the idea that Jesus prayed when, and you could probably do it this way. You fill in this blank. Jesus prayed even though he, what would you put in there? He was what? He was up late the night before. What else would you put in there? Because that's a fact out of this text. Anything else? That would strike you that Jesus prayed even though he already did great things. Excellent. Anything else? Let's, add, let's go back to what you said, Joyce. He was up all night. Why? Describe his day the day before. It was really, really a busy day. Describe his upcoming next few days. Same word. He's going to be traveling. He's going throughout Galilee. He's busy. Even though he's busy, he gets up to pray. Could we fill in these blanks? It says, what time of the day did he get up to go pray? What's that? Okay, before daylight. Okay, I'm not going to preach to say that unless you get up before the sun rises to pray, you're not spiritual. Okay, I'm not going to say that because I think anything before noon is ungodly. Um, no, no, I don't really. Several people believe that. That's true. Um, even though he's busy, even though he's been successful, even though he has great power, power to cast out the demons, get rid of diseases, and to shut the demons' mouths. He still prays. Even though he, people, are, people are depending upon him. Right? Because it says that they came looking for him. He had other people waiting on him. He still took time for that prayer. Even though, what else you want to put? It, it cost him some comfort. To me, it's comfort. To me, it's, it's a really neat thing to sleep. Okay? And I'm probably, there might be one or two others in the room that think the same thing. He could sleep in after a busy day. That would, he had to give up some time. This, but, he, but he's going to focus in on that prayer time, even though we could put he's busy, even though he has great... But is this true? Did Jesus display great skills in communication? Yes or no? The answer is yes. Even though he has great skills, he focuses in on prayer. Even though he, and you can just write in other things that, that you can put in here, there's much to do, there's still a lot going on, others are depending upon him. And then Mark not only tells us when he prayed, but Mark, in a very subtle way, tells us how he prayed. As you look in the passage, you just say, okay, in the morning, rising up a great while, he went out, departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. That verse gives us three different factors about his prayer. One, he personally prayed. Okay? He did it himself. Okay, number two, he privately prayed, or prayed privately, however you want to say it. So it was in that sense that this wasn't just for show, this is go alone and pray, which he commends, and he, uh, he persistently prayed. The, the Greek word that's used, he prayed, has the idea that this was an extended prayer time. This wasn't God bless this whole day type of prayer. This was an extended prayer time. 
And then I have to ask myself this question, is there any indication in this text of why he prayed? Well, obvious reason is he's at the beginning of his ministry. He's got the, the, he knows what's happening. He's got to go to Galilee. He's got to spread the word. He's not going to keep it here. I need help as I move on and get into the greater part of the region. So he's got a lot to do. He's relying upon the Lord. But it's a very subtle, very subtle explanation is in this passage as well of why he prayed. Watch what happens here. It says, okay, let us go into other towns that I may preach, uh, for therefore is came I to forth. Okay, I'm, I, this is my mission. But if you go right before that, verse 37, and you put that together with, uh, like, back to verse 27. When they saw Jesus, they were wondering who he is. How could he have this power? And then the people in responding... Did they come to hear him preach, or did they come to hear him perform? The next day, when all the city gathers, or in that evening, which one were they focusing on? The miracles or the message? Pardon me? It's the miracles. It's the miracles. Interesting the wording that's used in verse 27, in, or 37. When Peter says, and those who were following him, when they found him, they said, and this, you wouldn't find this in the Aramaic. He doesn't quote, he, it isn't written in Aramaic. In Aramaic, there's no word difference. But in the Greek language, there is a word difference that's used here. All the men seek for thee. The idea of the word seek, commonly used in Mark's gospel, has the idea of to pursue with bad intentions, to pursue not for good reasons to chase down so as not to help, but to, basically it's going to be a negative connotation. That the word that Mark uses here, if, he, if it's the same way that he's using it elsewhere. The implication seems to be very, very subtle from Mark is, these people were coming to Jesus with the wrong purpose. They weren't getting his message. They didn't understand what he was doing. And they're coming without the proper motivation, without the proper desire. Would that cause Jesus to pray and say, Father, please help them to understand what I'm doing. Not just to be following after some dynamic, dramatic situation. Not just to fill their pockets. Not just to make them feel good. But help them to understand the depth of my message, that they're sinners, they need to repent, and that it's coming with a relationship, repentance will come with a relationship between me and you. He wants them to understand the depth and the breadth of his message. That would cause him to pray. Because he prays that way later on in the Gospels. When he is brokenhearted over Jerusalem, what does he say later on? When he looks over the entire city. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you didn't understand. And here he is, brokenhearted all, uh, concept, is that he is pleading for, or could be pleading for, the idea that they would fully understand and comprehend his message. Does it ever happen that you share the word of God and your coworker doesn't get it? Does it ever happen that you do a Bible study and you're trying to explain something and the person sitting across to you looks at you and says, oh, I believe that too, but you know they don't. Oh, you're trying to deal with your kids. You're trying to deal with some relative and they're saying, well, you know, I'm right with the Lord, but you know they're not. You know that what you're trying to deal with, they don't see it. And they don't get it. What's our recourse? My flesh wants to take the Bible and pick it up and whack them. 
But what's the recourse that Jesus demonstrates for us? It's prayer. It's prayer. It's prayer to have an effect. That's the means by which he ministers. Subtle in here. You know what's amazing? Go through and you watch this story. If, it's, if uh, we have chiasms and parallels, if you go through a story, you have miracle, miracle, prayer, miracle, miracle. The story is laid out like this. A parallelism. And the center point, the tip of the arrow, focuses is on prayer. Prayer, prayer for all these miracles. And you and I, we're, we kind of go this way. Busy, 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 busy. And if there's time, I'll do prayer. Not by the example of Christ. If Jesus Christ had to pray for an extended period of time, then what, what's the answer here? Then so do I, so do we. Tremendous passage. Tremendous story. Just exalting the person of Jesus Christ, lifting him up to say, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one. And what is he doing? He's lifting up prayer. Prayer to the Father. Prayer to the Father. While we elevate him, he elevates prayer. And we often get stuck with just elevating him, which is good. But we don't see beyond what he's pointing to. We need to pray.